Good morning. Thank you. It's always good when you get applause before you've actually done anything, so I'll take it. Thank you. I'm excited to be here with all of you this morning. Um, if you're watching or listening online, we just want to welcome you as well. We're happy to have you with us. But before we get started, like Clint said, they're about to start traveling, and there's a group of nine guys that have been down in Honduras for the past five days. So before they start traveling back, I just want all of us to join together and pray and bless them as they're about to start traveling. So let's pray. God, we thank you so much. God, just for the opportunity to go out into the world that you've created, Father God. We lift up all of the men who are traveling. God, I thank you that you have the perfect planes, you have the perfect cars, you have the perfect pilot and crew and passengers to surround them as they travel, Father God, that they would get home quickly and safely, Father, that your angels travel around them. God, we bless them to have peace, that they would be refreshed as they travel, Father God, that there would be health in their bodies, Lord God. And I thank you so much just for watching over them, covering every single part of their trip, Father God. We're excited to hear all of the life-changing things that you did through them. God, we bless all of the seeds that were planted down in Honduras. God, I thank you all of the love that was given and the time that was shared with the kids and their families, Father God, that every single seed would grow fruit and change lives down in Honduras. Father God, we trust you for that now. And we thank you for blessing them and blessing the service. In Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. All right, they, like Clint said too, they're all going to be sharing next Sunday, so you don't want to miss that. I know I've gotten to hear little snippets and bits, and if you're on Facebook, I'm sure you've seen some of the pictures and videos, but it sounds like it's been an incredible trip, so you don't want to miss next Sunday. Invite people who are interested in missions that might want to hear about it, but we are also going to be having an interest meeting coming up um, in the next few weeks, so be listening for that. If a trip is something you would want to do, we're going to be taking our next one in June down to Honduras, so be listening for that meeting coming up. So I don't know about the rest of you, but I feel like I'm already a few weeks behind in this whole holiday season thing. It seemed like Thanksgiving came up faster than I expected, and then all of a sudden it was over, which means Christmas is right around the corner. And I was talking to someone this week, and I said, you know what, I just hate it because I really want to enjoy this time of year. I want to enjoy what it's all about. And then I realized the only one stopping me from enjoying it is me right here. I can do something about that, right? So I was thinking about that and praying about it, and I just felt like I had lost the wonder of what we're actually supposed to be celebrating here. Do you realize what Christmas is? It's that God was separate from us up in heaven, and he decided that's not where he wanted to be. He decided that he wanted to become Emmanuel, which is God with us. And so he sent his son Jesus down here to earth so that that could change everything for us. And I think if we just take a minute and stop and think about that, our whole perspective of the season should change. It doesn't just become about the stuff and the busyness, but it comes about believing in the fact that God actually wants to be with us. Not just watching us, not just, oh, there's my people way down there, but actually in and among and around us, Emmanuel. So I thought in order to just get more of a sense of that, we need to really look at the heartbeat of God. What exactly does God care about? What exactly the essence of who he is? 
because I don't want to lose him in the midst of all of this. So we're going to be talking about the heartbeat of God this morning. Now, you have to be pretty close to somebody, both in location and relationally, in order to hear their heartbeat, right? I dare say if any of you turned to the person next to you and said, hey, can I listen to your heartbeat for a second? If they're not really close family with you or your spouse, this is going to be the last Sunday that they're going to be sitting next to you, (laughs) right? They're going to get pretty uncomfortable by that question. So when you think about that, it takes a close relationship for that to be okay, to hear somebody's heartbeat. It's an intimate thing. And so, you know, the Bible actually talks about one of Jesus' disciples. And in the book of John, it calls him the disciple that Jesus loved. And it tells a story where they're all sitting around the table, and that disciple is actually leaning back onto Jesus. And that was the disciple that all of the other disciples went to when they wanted an answer from Jesus, because they could see the relationship between the two of them. They could see how close it was. So when you hear the heartbeat of somebody, it means that you're in an intimate relationship with them. And I believe that's how God wants us to be with him. That's how close he longs for us to be with him, that we hear his very heartbeat. If you think about the scripture, most of us have heard this, but it's John 3.16. Some of you may have even memorized it. I think it was one of the first verses that I ever memorized. But it says, For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that whoever believes in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. He loved us so much, he sacrificed his most precious thing. You know, it's one thing to just sacrifice a little for somebody. He took the most precious thing he had. He had one son, and he chose to give that for us. That's pure, unconditional love, because he chose to do it, before we ever asked for forgiveness, before we were out of sin, he took his precious son and said, you know what, this is what I'm going to give to you. But you want to see, that's the heart of God, pure and unconditional. You want to take a look at what our heart looks like? Mark seven twenty-one through 23. For from within, out of the person's heart, comes evil thoughts, sexual immorality, theft, Murder, the list goes on, adultery, greed, wickedness, deceit, lustful desires, envy, slander, pride, and foolishness. All these vile things come from within you, and they are what defiles you. That's a picture into our heart. Do you see the difference there? Pure, unconditional love and this whole list of disgusting, nasty stuff that we have inside our heart. So I think it's time this morning to do just a little bit of a self-check on our life. Whose heart do I want to follow? What do I want my life to look like? Do I want it to look like that list of things? Or do I want my heart to follow after God and not my own? So what exactly is in God's heart? What is it that he's passionate about? You know, when we talk about somebody's heart, we're talking about the thing that drives them, the thing that moves them. So what's in the heart of God? First of all, I think it's, always going to be the lost. God cares about those who do not yet know his son Jesus. He cares about the lost. And in Luke 15, 4 through 7, it says, What man of you, having a hundred sheep, if he loses one of them, 
does not leave the 99 in the wilderness and go after the one which is lost until he finds it. And when he has found it, he lays it on his shoulders, rejoicing. And when he comes home, he calls together his friends and neighbors, saying to them, Rejoice with me, for I have found my sheep which was lost. And I say to you that likewise, there will be more joy in heaven over one sinner who repents than over 99 just persons who need no repentance. And that's the verse we always talk about. When somebody comes to find Jesus, we say, oh, there's a party going on in heaven right now. But this is where it comes from. It's in the Bible that there's a rejoicing that goes on when that one person comes back. What I love about this verse is that that shepherd doesn't come home frustrated and angry at the time he had to spend going after the lost person. You know, if that was me, I'd be like, I just took my day to go find you. You wandered away again, and now I finally got you, and I'm hot, and I'm tired, and I'm sweaty. It doesn't mention any of that. It says he rejoices. It mentions it several times. He's rejoicing because he found the one that was lost. The act of having that one sheep that he cared about home outweighs anything that he had to do to get him back home. And that's God's heart for us. That's a glimpse of how God feels toward us. And, you know, we just got finished singing the song Reckless Love a couple of minutes ago. And so worship team, you did a good job picking out songs this morning. Let's give them a hand. That's Thank you. Y'all do great work every single week picking out songs. But their list today, I didn't talk with them about this, but amazing grace, reckless love, it's all what we're talking about here. But, you know, the song goes, oh, the overwhelming, never-ending, reckless love of God. It chases me down, fights till I'm found, leaves the 99. That's where we get that. It's from the scripture here. And I glanced around while we were singing it, and, you know, people are raising their hands, they're swaying to the music, and I love that song. You know, I was singing right along with all of you because we're supposed to remind ourselves of God's love, what he's done for us, and all the time that he takes for us. But, and hear me out for a minute, if you know Jesus as your Savior, then who are you in that song? You're now one of the 99. You're not just that one anymore. You've been found. So it's good to sing the song and remind yourself of it. But I think if we're not careful, we can get stuck there in, oh, look what God's done for me. We're not that one lost person anymore, and we don't need to act like it because we're the 99, and outside these walls, there's a bunch of ones out there waiting. I think we need to be careful, you know, just to imagine the world out there. They're lost, they're hopeless, they're without a savior, they're going to hell while we're in here singing and excited. So if we don't take that out there to them, how are they going to know about it? There's a bunch of ones out there. And we have to remember that we have the truth and we have God's heart to go share with them. And if we don't do it, who's going to? You know, God wants to reach every single one of them, but he needs us to play a part in that. And what better time of year than Christmas to invite somebody to come to church with you, right? A lot of people will come Christmas and Easter if no other time during the year. 
So take that opportunity, take your 99 membership that you have now, and go out and reach those that haven't come yet. It's Christmas time. Speak some words of hope. Share what God's done in your own life. And this isn't in your notes, but 2 Corinthians 5, 19 through 20. It says, For God was in Christ, reconciling the world to himself, no longer counting people's sins against them. And he gave us this wonderful message of reconciliation. So we are Christ's ambassadors. God is making his appeal through who? Us. We speak for Christ when we plead, come back to God. We have a job to do. If God's heartbeat is for the lost, and I'm not out there being his ambassador and pleading, I mean, plead is a strong word. How many of you feel like you go out every day and you get down on your hands and knees in front of people and plead for them to come? I don't. That's what we're supposed to be doing. Because our heart should be what God's heart is. And he wants them back. Come back to God. Plead for them. And so we're supposed to be out there helping gather in those people because we've been given a message to share. And if you don't know what it is yet, then I pray today you'll find out that you have a message to take out there. And I think that found people should find people. I'll say that again. Found people should find people. We shouldn't just rejoice in our foundness and call it a day. If we've been found, it's our responsibility to go out there and find somebody else. But once people are found, then I think God's heart is for our repentance. Our repentance. God puts a high value on repentance. King David in the Bible, he's described as being a man after God's own heart. That sounds pretty good, right? Does that sound like something you want to do? When we think about King David, we think, oh, well, yeah, he went out, he fought Goliath, he wrote a bunch of the Psalms, but you want to know what else King David did? He slept with a woman who was married, got her pregnant, and he thought, what's the best way that I can take care of this situation? I know, I'm going to go out and have her husband killed. Does that sound like somebody who's following after the heart of God? Not really. So what is God looking at when he looks at that? He's looking at the fact that as soon as David realized what he had done, he repented. He was quick to turn around and repent. He was quick to get before God and go, I blew it again. Because God's not asking for perfect people. God wants passionate people who are going out and doing something. And sometimes when you're passionate, you mess up. But we serve a God who's forgiving so he's hungry for our repentance. It says in Acts 3.19, it says, Repent, therefore, and be converted, that your sins may be blotted out, so that times of refreshing may come from the presence of the Lord. And I think if we're not careful, when we think about the word repentance, we think about just saying sorry and struggling to not do it again. Anybody in here with me who you've repented of something and managed to do it again and maybe again and maybe one more time, right? Repentance is just inside of us we think, okay, well, this will be the last time. I promise I'm going to say I'm sorry and then I'm going to try as hard as I can and fight and it'll never happen again. 
So what happens when it does happen again? What do I feel like? Failure? I feel like, oh, I failed again. Why even try? If I'm not careful, that's what my attitude can be. Why bother? I'm just going to mess up again. So I think God's idea of repentance is different. You know, when we look at it, we get grief because we were unable to do the right thing and stay strong enough. When really, I think our grief should be that we went against our living God. There's a difference there. One makes me feel like a failure, and one reminds me of his forgiveness. If I just fight to be strong enough, I'm never going to be strong enough. I need to remember that the work Jesus did on the cross took care of it for me. And I think that's how David looked at it. He realized his sin was wrong, not just because he lost the battle against it, but because he had gone against the very God that he loved and served. And God isn't passionate about repentance because he wants us to grovel at his feet and, oh, woe is me. I don't think that's what he's after. Because he knows if we get rid of the sin that's holding us, we find freedom. He knows the power that comes when I let go of those things that are holding me back. Sin is never a positive thing in our lives when we hold on to it. God knows it puts a wedge between him and me. And he doesn't want that. He doesn't want anything coming in between us. So that's why his heart is for repentance. It keeps me from living a full life, and then it keeps us from having a full relationship. And that's not how he wants us to live. But I was thinking about it this week, and I think there's another reason that he wants us so quickly to repent, like King David did, and that's this. I've got some real high-quality props here, so... Okay, say this is sin. This is what I have in my life. And I know it's there, and I'm holding on to it, and I keep it in front of me, and I'm focused on it. My attention is on it because I'm fighting really strong to get rid of it. So I have to keep it right in front of me and put all my energy and time into this. How good am I going to be out in life? How effective am I going to be when my focus is right here? So God knows if I come to him with this thing, and truly repent, he knows I'm going to be more effective. But even more than that, you know what else excites God? You know what the Bible says, as soon as I repent, what he's going to do? Okay, if I was a master illusionist right now, I'd go like this and it'd be gone, but I can't do that, so. Got it? I worked hard on that one. All right, but that's what he does. It says in his Bible, we repent, he grabs that thing, and it disappears. To be remembered, remembered no more. As far as the east is from the west. It's about as far away as you can get. That is why God's heart is for repentance. Because I think it excites him to make that stuff go away. It excites him when I'm not having to hold on to that and fight and struggle anymore. And the problem comes when I look at God and go, don't you remember? Remember what I did? Remember how I failed? His answer is, no. No, I don't. It's gone. If you want to see the verse, it's in Psalm 103, 12. It says, he has removed our sins as far from us as the east is from the west. 
And another verse says, he remembers it no more. That's the kind of God I want to serve. That's the kind of God I can come boldly to and go, God, I blew it again. Take it from me. But instead, what we do sometimes is we try and hide it. We try and keep it and push it down and kind of set it to the side so it doesn't get in our way. But you need to picture God not holding things against us anymore. Picture him as the one that can make it go away to be remembered no more. And one last thing that's on God's heart. He's after the lost. He's after our repentance. But more than anything, he's after a true relationship. He wants a true relationship with us. John 1.12 says, But to all who believed and accepted him, he gave the right to become children of God. Children of God. He passionately wants to talk with us. He wants to share life with us. He wants to be a daddy to us. And his heart is to have us in his family now, while we're on the earth, and for eternity. And I'm afraid sometimes when we form an idea of God, we look at him and think, you know what, God gets excited when I fit him into my life. You know, God gets excited when we do little things for him. You know, like he's looking down and going, ooh, you know what, that person, they just thought about me, and it's Tuesday, it's not even a Wednesday or Sunday, and and they had a thought cross their mind about me. Like, that excites him. Or he looks down and goes, ooh, look at that guy over there, he's using his Bible app. Or, ooh, look at her, she just made a worship playlist on Spotify. And we think that's something that excites God. But honestly, he doesn't want to just be fit into our life, he wants to be our life. He doesn't just want the scraps and the edges and the little places and nooks and crannies we can fit him in. He wants to be our life. He wants to be in our decisions, not just brought in on the tail end of them after we've made a mistake. Anybody ever been there? You're wondering, you know, should I date this person, quit this job, buy this car, and we make the decision on our own and realize that wasn't right. So we call God in, come on, God, now you can come help me fix this. He wants to be in it from the beginning. He wants to so much be a part of our life that we're going to him for all the things that matter to us. We're not just supposed to keep him on hold for when we need him. He wants to be there every second of the day going through life with us. And when we do that, I think people will see something different in our lives. They'll see something that they actually want. A true relationship, when we have one with our Father God, it's going to change what my life looks like. And when people see me, they should see that difference. They should see the peace that I have. They should see the confidence that I can walk in. They should see the hope that I have in the midst of everything going on in society. We can still have hope. I should be able to wake up in the morning and have joy no matter what circumstances are going on, when I'm in a true relationship, when he is my life, not just wedged into the part I can fit him in. So we need to keep that in our mind. I think sometimes our relationship with God just becomes a boring, guilt-ridden chore that we do. You know, I've got to go to church today, I've got to do this, and I've got to stop cussing, I've got to read my Bible more. 
He doesn't want to be boring, and he doesn't want to be something that just fills us with guilt. When we fill our lives with, I gotta, 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 when I don't do those things, all I'm going to feel is guilty. And that's not a relationship. God wants us to wake up in the morning ready to come to him because we love him. And I was thinking, um, I saw this week, how many of you seen the movie Elf? We'll get real Christian here for a minute, movie Elf. Um, but there's a scene in that when they're talking with Buddy, the elf, and they mention that Santa's about to come to the department store. And all of a sudden, you see his eyes light up, and he gets excited. He goes, Santa's coming here? I know him. I know him. Do we get like that when people mention God to us? We should. We hear somebody else talking about God. We read something that reminds us about God. Our eyes should light up and we get excited and go, I know him. And it should show right about here that we serve a God. We just don't know about him. You know, that's what got Buddy the Elf so excited is he had a relationship with Santa. He hadn't just heard about him all his life. He knew him. And that's what should excite us. We know him. And we want other people to know him too. That excitement can be contagious if we'll let it. So if all those things are truly God's heartbeat, he's after the lost, he's after our repentance, he's after a true relationship, then how do we actually hear his heart? What does it look like to hear his heart? And I think there's a few things we need to do. The first one is we need to stop being selfish. We've got to stop being selfish. And I know I've talked about here before how deep down inside me, I really, truly believe that I would have done amazing back in like the little house on the prairie days. I really believe that down here, that I could have been a frontiers woman. I would have been out there just fighting it and making it. But everything that happens in my life proves otherwise. Um, everything that we try and do here shows I probably wouldn't do very well. You know, we had a garden this year. And um, out of my entire big garden that I planned and took care of and kept weeds out of, I got oregano, two bell peppers, and some collard greens. <laughs> so my family has now starved to death, right? If I was in Little House on the Prairie, or else everything's going to taste like an Italian food because all we got is an oregano. But if I didn't have local stores here, we'd be in trouble, right? So I have this just desire down in me. I, I could have done it. I could have been a frontiers woman. So the one thing that keeps me going is we have chickens. In the middle of town, we have some chickens. We got seven chickens. And three of them aren't able to lay yet. They're too young. But our other four, they've been good layers, except for the past two months. And over two months, I have gotten maybe six eggs out of these four chickens. So um, I was thinking about this. And I saw a meme online. And this really spoke to my heart. It says, my owner had to buy eggs at the grocery store because I am a freeloading slacker. That is my chicken. That is four of my chickens. 
And I saw it on Facebook, and I was laughing because we do everything for them. We give them food. They've got water. They've got shelter. They get love and whatever. And all I'm asking them to do is do what their body does naturally and produce an egg. Doesn't sound that complicated, does it? But they are a bunch of freeloading slackers. They're living in there, the high life, getting taken care of and having to show nothing for it. But here's the thing. I started to think about that and I thought, what would a meme of my Christian life look like? If God was mean enough, which thank goodness he isn't, to write a shameful meme for me, what would it look like? He could come up with a bunch of them. You know, I could say, I don't know, I didn't have time to read my Bible today because there were too many Insta stories. I was planning on helping a single mom with Christmas, but I bought a new iPhone. There's a list that I could go on and on and on about. Because see, here's what we have to remember. We, as children of God, have been given everything. Everything. So what are we doing with it? I don't want to be a freeloading slacker. Right? Little, take a little breath, uncurl your toes a little bit. But it's true. I think we need to look at our lives and go, I don't want to be selfish. If we have the answer to eternal life, what are we doing with it? How many people's lives are we touching? You know, I know there's no way to pay God back for the gift that he gave in Jesus, but that doesn't give me an excuse just to sit around. We have everything. Let's go out and do something with it. You know, we come in here on Sunday and eat all the word that we can. If we just sit around the rest of the week and do nothing with it, I think that's called freeloading, <laughs> right? God's so gracious and so merciful, but I want to take a look at my life and go, am I being selfish? When God does something in my life, am I going out there and actually telling somebody about it? It says in Luke 9:23, and Jesus said to the crowd, "If any of you wants to be my follower, you must turn from your selfish ways, take up your cross daily, and follow me." Just three simple little things. It has to be done daily. If I did good yesterday, I have to, when I wake up this morning, make the choice to do that again. Take it up daily. Decide not to be selfish daily. But if I want to truly hear the heartbeat of God, I've got to do that. I have to not be selfish. The next thing I need to do, I need to come close. In order to hear somebody's heartbeat, you have to be right up next to them. You have to come close. I think a lot of times the guilt about our past and the mistakes that we've made cause us to distance ourselves from God. You know, when we make a mistake, we should run towards him instead of away from him. But if we're not careful, I think our first tendency is to get as far away from him as we can. You know, you think back to Adam and Eve in the garden. As soon as they sinned, what did they do? They went to hide. I mean, they couldn't have thought it was going to work. Maybe they did, but 
say, let's just get behind these bushes right here. He'll never find us, right? But that's our tendency as humans is when we mess up, we want to get away from the situation. We don't want to approach it, but we have to. When there's guilt there, we need to come close to God. And I feel like maybe that's for someone here today. You know, the shame that you felt, that shame doesn't come from God. That comes from yourself and from the enemy bringing that up in your life. God doesn't give you shame. He doesn't condemn us. He's longing for us to run to him so that he can take care of us, so that he can show love to us. It says in Hebrews 4, 14 through 16, it says, So then, since we have a great high priest who has entered heaven, Jesus the Son of God, let us hold firmly to what we believe. This high priest of ours understands our weaknesses, for he faced all the same testings we do, yet he did not sin. So let us boldly come to the throne of our gracious God. There we will find his mercy and find grace to help us when we need it most. I mean, it doesn't get better than that. You know, God knew what we were going to go through down here on earth. So instead of coming up with some faraway plan, he said, I'm going to send my son down there to actually experience what all these human beings have to go through. So Jesus was tested and tempted in every way that we are. Now, he didn't sin, and we do, but he understands. He's actually walked the walk that we do. And how gracious of God is that to plan something so that he could understand what it is to be one of us. To send his son, like I said at the beginning, Emmanuel, to be God with us. Walking the path that we do. You know, putting on our shoes for 33 years and walking the walk that we have to do. That's how much God loves us, that he planned it that way. And then we can, this verse says, come to his throne with confidence. Approach him boldly. You know, that's hard to do when you mess up, but that's what we're supposed to do, is approach his throne with confidence. And it says you do that, and you're going to receive mercy and find grace. That makes me confident. When I realize I'm not going to come to his throne and have him beat me over the head, he's got grace, he's got mercy for me to take away from there. You know, we're invited to approach the very throne of the one who created the universe. Just think about that for a minute. He made everything in existence. And this verse says, just come to his throne. Approach it like you belong there. That's what we're supposed to do because we do belong there. We don't have to stand on the sidelines and be embarrassed and ashamed of our life. Through the blood of Jesus, we belong and I think sometimes we lose a little bit of this because, you know, we don't have kings and queens and thrones anymore. But it'd be like if you were invited to the White House and you can pick whatever president you want to be there at the time. But you go there to take a tour and they just throw open the Oval Office and say, go on in. Take your time. Chat with the president. You know, that's an honor to be there. And to take all the time we want with him, that's not going to happen. He's busy. The God that we serve has all the time in the world for each and every one of us here in this room. You know, he's never looking at his watch going, I've got somebody else coming in five minutes, hurry up, your prayer, right? All the time in the world for you. So you've got to go boldly to his throne. And I think 
you know, we're coming up on that time of year where we do, anybody do New Year's resolutions ever? Kind of, they're hard, right? What if instead of New Year's resolutions, your one thought for 2019 was, I'm going to grow more in love with God? What if that was your sole goal? You were going to do what it takes to fall more in love with God. I promise if you do that, it's going to flow into all the other areas of your life. And probably some of those things that would have been a New Year's resolution are going to end up taking care of themselves because you're falling in love with the powerful God. That's what it looks like to come close. You need to spend time with him, spend time reading the Bible, spend time praying. You know, if you're not a reader, there's audio versions of the Bible out there. Get his word into you. You can't grow very close to him if you don't know what's in his word. I think sometimes we're able to get close to God, but we still can't hear his heartbeat because what we need to learn to do is be quiet. We've got to be quiet. Our lives are so loud. We have so much going on in them. They're so busy. And I think this is probably the most dangerous problem of the three. You know, we can get close to God and, and we can do what we need to do, but this being quiet is really sneaky. It's really subtle how we begin to put stuff into our schedule and fill it up and get busy, and all of a sudden we realize, I can't hear him anymore because I just have this roar of stuff going on around me. And you know what? It can actually be all good stuff. Good stuff can actually be the enemy of God stuff. You know, if I get too busy doing all this good stuff that I lose him in the midst of it, what good is that? So good stuff isn't always God stuff. I heard someone say one time, busyness is not a fruit of the Spirit. You know, we've got love, joy, peace, patience, busyness, gentleness. It doesn't fit in there. So just being busy is not what God calls us to. He calls us to be out there living our lives and, you know, going after people, but not just to be busy, not for busyness's sake. If you look at Luke 10, 38 through 42, it says, as Jesus and his disciples continued on their way to Jerusalem, they came to a certain village where a woman named Martha welcomed him into her home. And her sister Mary sat at the Lord's feet listening to what he taught. But Martha was distracted by the big dinner she was preparing. She came to Jesus and said, Lord, doesn't it seem unfair to you that my sister just sits here while I do all the work? Tell her to come and help me. But the Lord said to her, My dear Martha, you are worried and upset over all these details. There's only one thing worth being concerned about. Mary has discovered it, and it will not be taken away from her. And I feel for poor Martha in this story because she's every sibling that goes to tattle and expects the parent to be like, you are right, I'm going to go get your other sister and tell her, you know, she wants her sister to be busted and to be busted by Jesus, the Son of God. You know, she wants to be congratulated for all the hard work she's doing, pat on the back, and then go bust my sister. But what happens in the story? Jesus tells her something I think we all need to hear. The only thing that's not going to be taken away from us is time that we spend with him. 
time spent at his feet listening to what he was saying. That's the important thing. But we so often get caught up in the details and the preparations and the things of life when all he wants us to do is just sit for a minute, just turn all that off for a minute and get with me. That's what God's asking us. Just spend some time. You know that old saying, you can't take it with you? It's true. All this stuff we're busy in details and collecting and buying, I'm not going to take it with us. You know, take a look at your life and see what things and events you treat so important now that in the light of eternity aren't going to mean anything. You know, that car you're trying to buy, in the light of eternity, not a big deal. The SEC championship, not a big deal. Right? We get caught in the details if we're not careful. We've got to look at our life and go, is it really worth it? Am I spending time at the feet of God? Because here's one thing I've learned. If you take time and you give it to God, the rest of the time you have doing things is actually going to go a lot better. You're going to get more done with the time you have left than if you took all your time and tried to do it yourself. Spending some minutes at the feet of God, getting quiet, listening to his heartbeat is going to serve you a lot better than trying to do it all yourself. And eternity is something we really need to be thinking about. You know, we as Christians, we don't live just from birth date to death date, and then it's over. Our life stretches on into eternity. So we need to keep that in our mind. And there's a verse in Revelation that shows so beautifully what God's heart is in eternity. It's in Revelation 21, 3 through 5. It says, I heard a loud shout from the throne saying, Look, God's home is now among his people. He will live with them and they will be his people. God himself will be with them. And he will wipe every tear from their eyes and there will be no more death or sorrow or crying or pain. All these things are gone forever. And the one sitting on the throne said, Look, I'm making everything new. And then he said to me, write this down, for what I tell you is trustworthy and true. If you leave here today just thinking about that scripture, there's a time coming when all pain, all struggling, all frustration with what's going on in this world, all tears, all sorrow, it's going to be gone, and it's going to be gone forever. So why wouldn't we be trying to get to know the God that's going to do that for us? We can get close to him now. We don't have to wait for that day. He promises that he's here with us, never leaving us. He's Emmanuel, God with us. And his hope one day is that every person in this room gets to live face to face with him, like that verse talks about. His hope is actually that every person in this world gets to live the way that verse talks about. And part of that's our job to go out there and get the ones that we can to come find out about it. But you know what? It's your choice. It's my choice. It's their choice. We all have a choice to make. If we want that verse to be true for us, that we're going to be with God and he will be with us forever. Everyone just bows your head for a minute and closes your eyes.
I want you to just take a second and just quiet yourself before God. There's nothing else going on at this exact second that you need to think about. Just listen for his heart. Because I think to some of you today, his heart is beating. It's saying, let go. Let go. All the junk that you've selfishly been holding on to, today's the day to let that go. It doesn't even compare to being with him. I think to some of you, his heart is beating, come home. Come home. If you feel guilty or condemned, you can choose to move past that today. And you can come home. And lastly, maybe to some of you, his heartbeat sounds like, choose me. Choose me. Choose me over stuff. Choose me over having a busy life. But you know, you can't even hope to hear his heartbeat right now until you've actually given him your life. You know, we never close a service here without offering you the chance to do that. So if you're here today and you want your eternity to look like that verse in Revelation where there's no more pain, no more suffering, if you want a life now on this earth with a God who wants to be your daddy and who cares about you and whose heartbeat is for you, to be with you in everything you're facing, then you can make a choice this morning. If you've never invited Jesus to be the Lord of your life, or maybe you have in the past and today you want to decide to come back to him, I'm going to give you an opportunity right now to do that. If that's you, while everybody's eyes are closed, just lift your hand up and wave at me. You want to come back and make Jesus Lord of your life. There's several hands. Let's go ahead and all pray this together. Maybe somebody watching or listening online. Just pray along with us. Say, Father God, today I come home to you. I choose you. I believe in Jesus, and I want him to be my Lord and my Savior. God, forgive me of everything I've done that doesn't please you. And today I choose to have you as Lord of my life. Thank you, Father God, for sending your son so that I can now be your son or daughter.